0: Hope Church. And um, I just want to thank you um, for your prayers uh, for while, while I was in the Middle East. Um, it was a blessed time, it was phenomenal um, in many ways. And, um, you know, as things are being recorded this morning, I'll, um, I'm not going to be super specific. Um, in details, um, I hope you all can understand that. But I will just say, prayers are, prayers are needed, um, you know, for that part of the world. And if you could just imagine uh, with me for a minute, um, a, a, an area not that large geographically, but with about a million and a half people And having about 120 known indigenous believers. That's tough. Um, That's tough to wrap one's mind around, um, one's heart around. Um, But at the same time, I found with that, even with that kind of specific number, an incredible amount of hope. Um, Because if you think back to the, the book of Acts after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus and they were in the upper room and they were praying. How many were there? About 120. About 120. And what happened? Well, the world was turned upside down by a powerful move of God. And so we can pray for that same sort of thing. And the The interesting part about that is you know that people are generally hungry and open and willing to talk, and you can have conversations directly um, about the good news. Um, and so that's pretty that's pretty amazing. Um, I met another man, and um, we were talking this morning on on WhatsApp, um, giving him some resources. Uh, as he's a, a Brazilian uh, man with a wife and two very, very young children. Very young children. Um, two babies, really. And uh, they're going to a place that I couldn't go to today. You couldn't go to today. Um, but they can go. And and they're going. And um, it's just amazing. I was thinking about this right before leaving Um, My uncle was here from Brazil. He's been a missionary in Brazil for 50 years. And so now, I mean, 50 years ago, that wouldn't have been possible. You know, the Brazilian church would not have been sending anyone to the Middle East. Now, because of the seeds that were planted and the work that was done decades ago, the Brazilian church is large enough and strong enough to send people to the Middle East. That's encouraging. That's super encouraging. Um, So just some really exciting stuff to think about in that regard. But we need to pray, you know, really for the mobilization of the church in Mexico and in Central America and South America that people can go to places that that we can't go to with greater freedom um, to speak openly about our Savior and King. And we need to pray and that they will go and to help them to do as such. Um, you know, things are things are changing. Things are changing. And um, it's good to be aware of that and to pray accordingly. Um, but we need to pray for our own nation as well. And the Lord has used um, his followers here in, in powerful ways over the years, and we pray that he would continue to And that we wouldn't, um, man, you look at what um, the believers in a place like Britain used to do compared to what they can do today, and it's sad. It's sad. Um, you know, you fail to reach a generation, you fail to reach one generation, and you're done. That's reality. Fail to reach a generation that comes behind and you're done. And so we have to be mindful of that. Um, this morning we'll continue in our study in the book of 1 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. Thankful for Marcus picking up chapters 9 and 10 um, last week. And um, you remember this is this book uh, is it a time of transition where we're going to move um, from, from basically being, you have judges and um, ruling over the land to a king, and it's different because um, you know the judges were raised up you know at a particular time to to meet a need, uh, but then the people are not satisfied because they feel the threat from Nahash the king of the Ammonites, and so they demand a king. In verse eight, I mean chapter eight, um, Saul is chosen to be king. In verse chapter nine, he's anointed to be king. Um, In chapter ten, and now um, we're going to read about his first, one of his first acts as king. And really, you know, this is Saul um, at his best. We see Saul at his best in chapter eleven. Um, of First Samuel. Um, now we know the whole story, so it's hard hard for us to see him in any other light than have gone in than that he's gone over to the dark side, right? That's that's kind of how we we view him. He had all the information he had. You know, um, he should have been right with God his whole life, and we see him, you know, like go over to the dark side, and that we, so we have a hard time seeing him pre. Um, his failure, um, you know, in chapter 13. So we'll try to look at him with a little bit of a clean slate this morning in chapter 11 um, as we look at that. But uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll read. And as so we said, he- Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this morning to be here to worship you. We do pray for those um, in our fellowship who are sick this morning, can't be here today. We pray for those who are traveling spring break. and Lord, we ask that you watch over them and protect them. For all of our people, Lord, that each one, here or not here, will be united in spirit and in heart and mind before you this morning to grow, to follow you all of our days, God. As our kids are singing upstairs, that we would follow you all of our days. That we would be faithful to you. And help us We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. So in chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now Nahash the Ammonite came up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve you. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, I will make it with you on this condition, that I will gouge out the right eye of every one of you. Thus I will make it a reproach on all Israel." The elders of Jabesh said to him, "Let us alone for seven days, that we may send messengers throughout the territory of Israel. Then, if there is no one to deliver us, we will come out to you." Then the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and spoke these words. In the hearing of the people, and all the people lifted up their voices and wept. Now, that's an interesting, you know, four verses. I have a hard time not stopping there for a minute just to. Acknowledge what's going on here. You know, Nahash the Ammonite—he was the one the people were concerned about. They saw him growing in power, and that he was um, a threat, you know, to their, um, to them as a nation. And so that's why they asked for a, a king. And we'll talk about more more about that. I'm um, here a little bit later on, but then you know, their their fear had some reason behind it. It's not like. Nahash wasn't a threat. I mean, he was a threat. As we see here, he besieges Jabesh, Gilead. And now the men of Jabesh, now, the, the thing about this situation is, you know, they they don't have faith that God will deliver them. Not in some sort of supernatural way, um, as, you know, people of faith in, in their previous history have had, but, They just say, you know, hey, we'll we'll serve you. And then, you know, Nahash, the Ammonite, shows both his power and his wickedness. And he's like, yeah, we can make that deal. But I'm going to gouge out, for every one of you, I'm going to gouge out your right eye. That's a pretty significant price to pay. It's one thing to be like in a tribute sort of servitude. You're going to have to pay these you know, taxes year by year as a portion of your crops and your livestock and everything is going to go to the Ammonites and some may be even taken into slavery but you know, it gets pretty personal to say, okay, we're going to take out your right eye I mean, think about that for a second like, hmm I don't, you know, don't like that I'll pay a tax are you going to take out my right eye? that's a different story and so they say, now this is interesting they say to Nahash okay, we'll do that on this condition. Let us send out messengers. If anybody done done come and deliver us in seven days, we'll come out and you can do with us as you see fit. Now, Nabash, I think this is one of those situations where he's kind of like, well, I think he thinks he's more powerful. So even if somebody does come, it's not going to make a difference. He's still going to win and may as well defeat all of Israel at one point than having to piecemeal it battle by battle. Just go ahead and win. Um, So that could be in his thought process. The other thought process could be, hey, if nobody comes for him, then I don't lose any men. You know, if I go and attack the city, I'm going to lose at least some men. Um, But this way, I don't have to lose anyone. And so he agrees to that deal. Now you can imagine the people are disheartened to hear this. And verse 5, it says, Now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen. And he said, What is the matter with the people that they weep?'" So they related to him the words of the men of Jabesh. Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul mightily when he heard these words, and he became very angry. And he took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout the territory of Israel by the hand of Bethesda, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out as one man, and he numbered them at Bezek. And the sons of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. They said to the messengers who had come, Thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you will have deliverance. So let's stop there for a moment. So Saul hears this, and he becomes angry. And what's interesting is it says the Spirit of God came upon him, and then he became angry. We need to understand, you know, Anger is a is a an emotion that is not always wrong. There are times where it is right to be angry. Right to be angry at evil, at injustice, at wickedness in our world when people are being destroyed, there's a time and a place to be angry at that. We shouldn't just be like, "Oh, well, I'm I'm cool, I'm I'm calm." I mean, you know, you know, it's it's no big deal if people are being slaughtered or people are going to be slaughtered. No, you no. did have some anger. Now, that anger has to be within bounds. Here, that anger is in the bounds that the Spirit of God came upon Saul mightily, and he was very angry. He's angry because these people are going to be destroyed. And so he calls... All the people, and he uses his authority and his power to say, You're going to come and we're going to come and defend our people. Now, another thing we need to note about this it says, The Spirit of God came upon Saul mightily, and this we see, you know, numerous times in the Old Testament, the, the Spirit of God coming upon someone. Now, what we don't see really much in the Old Testament. As a permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We don't have that until you get to the new covenant, where you're you know, when you believe you're sealed, as Corinthians tells us, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's a promise. Like, and and you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come and make their home in you as a tabernacle or as a temple, your body is a temple of the living God. We don't have that in the Old Testament. Come upon you in the Old Testament. Dwell within you in the New... Well, let's just say it this way. In the Old Covenant, come upon you. That's a, that's a possibility. In the New Covenant, dwell within you as a promise. There's a significant difference. It's one of the reasons why the New is better than the Old we don't have to apologize about saying that. The scripture says that Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant. Book of Hebrews. Jesus is a mediator of a better covenant. It has, it's a better covenant and it has better benefits for those who are in it. If the old was just as good, there wouldn't have been any reason for the new. And so this doesn't have to do in the sense of like salvation, like we think about salvation and being saved from the penalty of sin. Okay, this, this indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we receive. This has to do with coming upon the Spirit coming upon Saul to use him for a specific purpose for God's glory and for the good of the people. Okay, so there's some significant differences here. So the messengers, this is second half verse 9, so the messengers went and told the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. Then the men of Jabesh said, This is to Nahash the Ammonite, tomorrow we will come out to you, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. The next morning, Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp at the morning watch and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. Those who survived were scattered, so that no two of them were left together. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is he that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day. For today the Lord has accomplished deliverance in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come and let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. So all the people went to Gilgal and they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they also offered sacrifice of peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Again, this is Saul at his best. He has the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. He, move, he, he does what is needed, and the Lord accomplishes a great deliverance through him. And then, you know, when the passages that Marcus had last week. You know, We, we saw that um, there, were, there were certain people who said, shall Saul reign over us, that so they didn't think he was fit to be their king. And so this was an opportunity to take revenge on them. And so the people had come to Samuel, and they want Samuel to be the one as judge to say, you're right. These men deserve to be judged, you know, kill them. But Saul intervenes before Samuel even gives ruling and says no, because, you know, it's on his behalf, right, that the people are doing. It. He says, no, not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has accomplished deliverance in Israel. By all accounts, he, he did well in these few days. He did very well. He did very well. And so, um, that's a that's a powerful scene, and it's really, really unfortunate um, what happens here uh, in comparison to what happens in the second half of chapter 13. But let's move on to chapter 12. And it says this, Then Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have listened to your voice, And all that you said to me, and I have appointed a king over you. Now here is the king walking before you, but I am old and gray. And behold, my sons are with you, and I have walked before you from my youth even to this day. Here I am. Bear witness against me before the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with I will restore it to you. They said, to, You have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And then he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day that you have found nothing in my hand. And they said, He is witness. And this is really, really important because Samuel's getting to the end of his life and he wants to make sure. That it's recognized that he did not have fail um, you know, in the same way that Eli's sons had, or even, you know, from what we had seen earlier, um, at least to, maybe to a lesser degree, but like his own sons had. He wants it to, to be known that his work before the Lord was, was pure. It was just. It was upright. That's not wrong. It's not wrong to want to have that testimony and to have it recognized that, hey, I did what I was supposed to do among you. We see the same thing um, in the Apostle Paul um, when he's, toward, you know, he's going to go to Rome, he's going to be in prison. He's speaking to the elders of the church of Ephesus and he says, you know, I have not failed to declare the whole counsel of God to you. He wants it to be known. Hey, I've done everything that I could do. I did it in an honorable way before God and before people. Before God and before humanity, I have done what is right. How many will be able to say that at the end of their days? I mean, that's, that's a noble desire. That people could tell the truth at your funeral and say he or she was faithful to do what the Lord had called them to do, whatever that is. Whether the opportunities were many or few, whether you know, the, the, the the what you were given was much or was little, that you were faithful with the Lord with what the Lord had entrusted in your hands, and for the, that to be truthful. And for people not to be blowing smoke at your funeral. If it was was etched into your gravestone, your name was faithful. Whatever your name is, insert it there in the blank, was faithful to the Lord and the Lord's people. Wow. Wow. That it would be true. And not the revisionist history that is often said and written. But that didn't just happen for Samuel. It was day by day, day by day, walking with God, day by day. From when he was a child. Who was a small child and the Lord first called his name to when he was an old man. Day by day. As again, as we heard those kids singing this morning, and I will follow you all of my days. That's a call to day by day. Day by day. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon day by day. Day by day. In verse 6. Samuel said to the people. Sorry, hold one second. I'm mess this thing up. Sorry, that was verse 12, not chapter 12. <laughs> so earlier. All right, chapter 12, let's see. All right. Verse 12 of the same timeout. We're in chapter chapter 12, no, verse no, 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 no. 6, <laughs> verse 6. A little bit later on in my notes, I have chapter 12 where it was verse 12, not yeah. chapter 12, and so I have I have confused myself. <laughs> Okay, but well now I'm not confused anymore. And there's a little bit of jet lag still going on. i tell you, brutal. Okay, verse 6. Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. So now take your stand that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord which he did for you and your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord your God, their God. So he sold them into the hand of Sisera, the captain of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. They cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtoreth. But now deliver us from the hands of our enemies, and we will serve you. Then the Lord sent Jerubbabel and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around so that you lived in security. Okay, so Samuel takes them on a little reminder in a very few verses, a reminder through history. Remember your father? Jacob going to Egypt. Remember the oppression there. Remember Moses and Aaron bringing them out. Remember these people fighting against you and these people fighting against you. But he wants to remind them that they were fought against because they had forgotten God. And it's really interesting when you look at Israel's history in the Old Testament. We see that God's primary concern is their relationship with Him. That's more important to Him than their physical safety or their abundance of crops or their, you know, what their what they view as their, um, you know, social emotional well being. That God is most concerned about their spiritual connection to Him. And so when they go off track is when the other nations are allowed to do what they naturally want to do. Where God removes his restraining hand and those others are able to fight and not just to fight, but to, to win to a certain degree. Not to win utterly. God didn't allow that. But to win And then the people would cry out, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtoreth. And then God would deliver them. Delivered them through Gideon, through Barak, through Jephthah, through Samuel. You know, he puts himself there at the end of the story. Like he was one, you know, bringing them up to the present time, that he was the one that the Lord used. And then in verse 12, he says, But when you saw that Nahash, the king of the sons of Ammon, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us. Although the Lord your God was your king. Now, therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen, whom you have asked for, and behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and listen to his voice and not rebel against the hand of the Lord, then both you and also the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. If you will not listen to the voice of the Lord but rebel against the command of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. Even now, take your stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not the wheat harvest today? I will call to the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. Then you will know that you will that and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, by asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. So the history is that God had taken care of them, but they still were not satisfied. and So they forsake God, then they deal with the consequences of having forsaken God, Then they'd cry out to God for help, and then God in his grace and mercy would help them. And then they'd kind of repeat the pattern. Now before we um, judge them too harshly, we should probably look at our own hearts and lives and days in the past. Hopefully it's not quite like this, or not quite so frequently like this, but I'm pretty certain... You know, that um, not all of us are proud of every day that we have lived, you know, with the Lord. That there's some days we wish that did not exist. So again, before we judge them too harshly, we have to look at our own hearts. Our own history. Now really the key thing that I want us to gather or to gain from this and it just really, just really struck me in this chapter is the, to answer the question why did the people so badly want a king? And I believe the answer to that is A false sense of fear created a desire for a false sense of security. A false sense of fear created a desire for a false sense of security. That's one I think we should remember. A false sense of fear created a desire. Or a false sense of security. Let's think about that for a minute. Because the flesh, our flesh, sees through the eyes of the flesh about the things of the flesh and cannot see or think in the ways of the spirit. And so the flesh saw Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, and his army and said, I should be afraid because they can hurt me. I should be afraid because they can hurt us. I, I should be afraid because they could conquer us. But if they had stepped back and in the spirit gone to God, they would have realized that Nahash and the Ammonites—that that army was nothing in comparison to the power of God. That in fellowship with God, they had nothing to fear from Nahash and the army of the Ammonites. So they had a false sense of fear. They had a false sense of fear because historically, if they had looked back. Well, God rescued us from the hand of the Philistines. remember? Remember when we weren't right with God and we lost, and then we repented. and then Samuel, you know with Samuel, we won a great victory. God gave us victory. Remember in a history when God delivered us from the Egyptians that were, when we had no military? We had no weapons. And God destroyed the Egyptian army before us. Remember when we marched around the city of Jericho and without a weapon being used the walls of the city that were really thick crumbled into nothing before us. They had that whole historical record but when trouble was on the horizon, they didn't see with spiritual eyes, and instead, a false, they had a false sense of fear. And so, with the false sense of fear, well, we, I've got to have a sense of security. And so, they asked for a king to give them a false sense of security. Now, in this case, God in his grace kind of met them where they were and gave them victory through King Saul. But lets them know, and lets them know through this thunder and rain on the day of the wheat harvest that their wickedness was great in the sight of God for what they had asked for. Because it wasn't, again, it wasn't um, God's timing And their motivations in asking were misplaced. They were wrong. Because at the end of the day, they could lose just as easily with Saul as when with him. It was a false sense of security. And so that brings a question for us. Because Jesus told us not to fear those who can only kill the flesh. but to fear God who can send both potty and spirit to hell. So we need to learn a lesson here from the Israelites in 1 Samuel chapter 12 and that is not to allow a a false sense of security to create a desire for a false sense sorry, a false sense of danger, a fear to create a desire for a false sense of security. We have to be careful that our trust and that our hope is in God and in, not in plans of our own devising. Now I want to be careful here because some people will take this to like, well I didn't have a plan for anything in life and it didn't go, like, it didn't go very well. But you know, I mean, I was supposed to trust God, right? Well, okay, time out. You know, like, we're supposed to trust, to seek the plans of God and to trust those and prepare ourselves to follow those. Okay, it's not that you just sit there on the couch all day and do nothing and go, whoops, you know, that's not what we're talking about here. I don't know, some people tend to find the wrong idea in everything. <laughs> you know, it's like they're it's like a magnet or something. You know, they're just drawn to the extreme wrong idea of a of a good truth. But what I'm talking about here is not making our own plans. You see, if they had sought God in his way, there still would have been a plan to defeat the Ammonites. They, they may have very well still needed to go into battle. Sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't. But they needed to seek the Lord and say, God, what do you want us to do here? What is pleasing to you? That's where they failed. They failed because when they were first afraid, they didn't say, Lord, we're afraid, but based on the historical record, our fears are probably irrational. Help us not to be afraid, and show us your power and your ways. If we could have the, I don't know, the intellectual fortitude, sometimes when we're more afraid, to go to God and say, Lord, I'm afraid, but based on the historical record of the scripturalness of my own life, that's probably pretty irrational right now. It's probably pretty irrational, so I'm going to need some help. Said so the man who prays, Lord, I believe, but help my own belief. Like, ask the Lord to meet you where you are, but also ask him to change where you are in your heart and mind. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. And it's difficult. I'm not saying it's easy, because I often fail at this. I mean, I'm preaching to myself here. Because when I think, you know, You know, what can man do to me? Well, man's pretty brutal. People are pretty brutal. They can do a lot to me. But this is the reality. That no human can do anything to you that God does not in some way permit. And God has the power... Whether he exercises it or not, to stop anyone from doing anything to you that they want to do. Shrad- Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are told you're going to bow down before this, alt- this idol, or you're going to be thrown into this furnace of fire. And what is their response? Their response is not going to bow. You may throw us in and we may die. Or you may throw us in and God may save us. But either way, I'm not going to bow to you. Not going to bow to you. Because they fear God more than they feared man. Rightly so. And I, th- I think that that's the, that's the attitude. Not in a cocky, not in a prideful way. But in our world that is wicked, in our world that is full of sin, in our world that tempts us at every turn, we need to have some intestinal spiritual fortitude. Intestinal spiritual fortitude. Yep, I said it. (laughs) That is going to look at sin and look at temptation and look at the traps of the enemy and say, I will not bow to you. I will not bow to you. You may do X, Y, or Z to me, but I will not bow to you. And to be strong in that, I will not bow. I will not bow. The only one I will bow to is Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Period. I will not bow to you. When you say that to our own flesh. When our spirit knows what is right. And when our flesh wants to do what is wrong. I will not bow to you. When temptation for lust and pride and greed and all the other else comes. I will not bow to you. I will not. I will not bow to you. We need to have a holy defiance. That is full of love and truth and kindness. But a holy defiance against evil, first in our own hearts. That's where it has to start. First in our own hearts, and then in our world. I will not participate. And the reality is that we would expect no less from our very own children, from the little kids in this church. If they are at school and somebody is made, being made fun of, and they're encouraged to participate in that, what do we expect? We expect them to look at those other kids and say, I will not bow to you. You are wrong. And if you want to pick on this kid, you can pick on me. You are wrong. I will not bow to you. We want them to have a holy defiance. We expect them to, and you know what? Here's the reality of it. We're incredibly disappointed if they don't. If another kid is being made fun of, and they join in there and make fun of that kid we have an extreme disappointment. We have an extreme disappointment. Rightly so. But here's the rub. We acquiesce to the sins of our culture. And then we look at our father and say, shouldn't be disappointed in me. You shouldn't be hurt. You shouldn't be frustrated. I mean, what do you expect from me? And we'll make every excuse in the book that we would not take from our own children. That's the hard reality. I was convicted about that the other day. I said, You know, Lord, I know I have to discipline my kids. And I also know before you that I'm not fair. That I'm not fair. Because there are times when I expect more of them than I think you should expect of me. Then all the people said to Samuel in verse 19, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, so that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil by asking for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not fear. You have committed all this evil, yet do not turn aside after following the Lord. But serve the Lord with all your heart. You must not turn aside. For then you would go after the futile things that cannot profit or deliver because they are futile. Do we get that this morning, folks? Everything in this world that we would chase after, all the false securities of this world, they are futile. They are futile. For the Lord will not abandon His people on account of His great name. You know why you have security in God? Because God's name is on the line. His name is on it. Because the Lord has pleased to make you a people for himself, moreover as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, but I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, both you and your king will be swept away. Listen to these words of Samuel. For the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name, because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. What does Peter tell us? You are precious stones. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. Wow. Samuel says, you know, it would be a sin for him not to pray. And not to pray for the people. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your prayers. I know the prayers of many people helped me so much these last couple of weeks. That anything good accomplished with the root of it, at the heart of it, was the prayer of the Lord's people. Thank you for your prayers and we need to pray for one another because, you know, here Samuel had that special role of priest. Who's a priest before God according to the scriptures? Priesthood of all believers. That's not just a theology. It's supposed to be a practical reality. See, that's why any of us this morning can go take that bread and that cup and any of us can pray to our Father and praise the name of Jesus. Because of what Jesus did for us at the cross. We all have the responsibility that Samuel had. Hello. We all have the responsibility that Samuel had. See, now the problem, the problem with that is a lot of times... When everybody do everything for ourselves well we're supposed to do everything for God and for each other well I want somebody else to do that for me no nope. it's not how it works see in this new economy everybody does it for God and for everybody else everybody is to have a hand to the plow everybody's got a hand to the plow everybody you know our faith Is not, it it just doesn't work. It just does not work with a desire to be lazy. It just doesn't work. Just doesn't work. Fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things He has done for you. Now, they had that fear that if they didn't, if they did wickedly, that they and their king would be swept away. Well, the scripture tells us, again, New Covenant, superior to Old Covenant, that if we fail and we sin, that though we may suffer loss, our spirit is safe with God because it's dependent on what God did on the cross for us and not what we did. Okay, So that's the superiority of the New Covenant in just another area. However, there is loss. There is still great loss. And we don't want to suffer that. So how do we avoid that? How do you avoid that? Serve Him with all your heart. Consider what great things He has done for us. This morning as we take the bread and the cup, we consider what great things the Lord has done for us. We give thanks. We remember Jesus went to the cross and shed His blood. So that we could be right with Him. So that the Spirit of God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit would indwell us. We would walk with God. And that we would not have a spirit of fear but of power and love and of sound mind. And that we can live with spiritual intestinal fortitude in a holy defiance in this world. And be people who bring good news of great joy to all peoples. And we can do so with confidence. When I was there the last night and got to share the local church, so we have confidence because God promised Abraham that in his seed your family, your people would be blessed. Be confident. And be faithful. Be confident. And be faithful, be strong, and be bold. Be humble, be loving, be all these things. But we don't have to walk around this earth with our head down and hiding under every rock. No, we can stand with courage. And we can let the fiery darts of the enemy come. Let them come. We have a shield of faith. We fight back through prayer. And we do not have to fear. Be bold. Be courageous. Be courageous. Be faithful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning we ask you in your spirit to make us everything we should be and everything we are not and to remove from us what we should not be in our sinful, sinful flesh. God, we ask for your help. We ask for your glory to be made known. Lord, we admit that apart from you, Jesus, we can do nothing. Certainly nothing good. Certainly nothing of eternal value. So we must be extremely connected to you And as we take that bread and that cup this morning, in remembrance of you, Jesus, connect us, we pray. Make our senses fully aware of that connection we have with you. We may see with spiritual eyes and hear with spiritual ears have strong spiritual hearts. We humbly say, thank you, God. In your name, Jesus, we thank you. Amen.